and welcome to another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast. I'm your host, Michaels, and on our episode today, we're going to cover off the Geelong game, going to touch on a couple of topics with some players coming back from injury, and of course, review our upcoming game against Fremantle. Um, for our guest today, we have a returning guest, so Crocodoc, welcome back to you. Uh, thanks, Michaels. Great to be back. Yeah, good to see the internet is now up and running. Yeah, finally, after five weeks and several complaints to the telecommunications ombudsman, but um, managed managed a $9.30 phone bill um, across three different um, packages, being internet, home phone and mobile, so at least they sorted that out for me. Living the dream, that's the way to do it. And yep. our, our other guest is, uh, look, we'll say international because the IP address is international. Um, I, I call him the voice of reason on the big footy board. So, Kiwi Tiger, welcome to you. Kia gents, from Barnaby Joyce country. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here, and thank you very much for the, um, the compliment, Michaels, on uh, voice of reason. I don't know about that. But, no, very, uh, very much so. I think John Zwig actually said the same thing, so... <laughs> Elton John's wig. He's a he's a good man. He's uh, I don't know whether to call him Elton or Wig. But, I know. Uh, Speaking <laughs> of him, though, quickly, what what are you drinking there? Just so he can give you a bit of a, a rundown on, on if it's good or not. <laughs> well, people who know me around the footy club and around other places uh, know that I enjoy a Central Otago Pinot Noir. So I am sitting here on a Monday. I normally don't drink uh, Monday to Fridays, but. Uh, Given that I'm speaking to the Richmond family here, I thought I'd uh, treat myself to a glass of Central Otago Pinot Noir. So I'm looking forward to Elton John's wig's critique of that choice. <laughs> it's a special occasion being, indeed. Uh, being the board's uh, vigneron and uh, all of that, or sommelier. Uh, uh, it's quite a lofty title for him. It but, is. Uh, I'm looking forward to the critique. And we'll uh, also follow up with, how did you become a Richmond supporter? me uh that's a good story well i think it is but everyone else will think it's probably crap but um my first memory of life um and probably showing my age but um in 1969 my grandfather took me to he broke for st kilda he took me to a richmond collingwood game and that is the first thing i remember of life is Richmond Collingwood at the MCG. And and the one thing I do remember is at half time way back then, everyone would light up a cigarette. And I've actually got this, um, and it would create like a fog over the centre of the MCG. And I've actually got this memory of this fog at the MCG, which is probably a good metaphor for the supporting of Richmond from then on in. Um, but I won't go into that. Um, but I also did grow up in a part of Melbourne, um, out right near Warrigal Road in a suburb called Ashburton. And um, on one side of Warrigal Road was the Hawthorne Zone and on the other side of Warrigal Road was the Richmond Zone. And thankfully I went to a primary school that was full of kids that played for a, a club called Essex Heights, which uh, was across the other side of Warrigal Road and was sometimes known as Richmond's under-17s. Uh, it, was a, it was a very strong uh, Richmond-supporting area, so that's probably my two main influences was my grandfather and the kids I went to school with. So, um, yeah, I was in a Hawthorne and St Kilda family. I was a Richmond supporter. Yeah, it sounds sounds like uh, very much to me, born in a, you know, multi-team family and then um, through yeah. your grandfather was where you got the real Tiger influence. It was. He was a... Um 
he was a uh, rep for Dunlop Sports and he went to a lot of football and uh, he thankfully took me to a lot of Richmond games. But it's funny you talk about a, a multi um, a multi fan household. I, I like stirring my brother about the fact that he actually started off barracking for Melbourne and then changed to Hawthorne. Um, and so he had split personality. The other thing I do remember, well, I, I, I did do was um, I played Little League for Hawthorne because of where I lived. Yeah. And um, one day we played against Richmond at Princess Park and I was I was so fundamentally and ethically challenged um, playing against Richmond that I actually grabbed the ball and kicked the wrong way. And my <laughs> my mum and dad recorded that on Super 8 Movie, which has now been converted to CD-ROM and they still have pleasure at playing it at major birthday milestones of the day I kicked the wrong way because I just couldn't give a stuff about all things. And keep an eye out for the thread where Kiwi's going to actually upload that video for everyone. I <laughs> <laughs> have got it. And uh, I take great pleasure in it. I was, um, I suppose it built the foundations of me as a chartered accountant now that I, I could never be ethically and morally challenged and, um, and started early. And for those of you who are very familiar with your posting, uh, would know that you're you've been involved quite heavily with the club. So, what is your or what involvement have you had with the club over the years? Um, I probably I was a, I began or I've been always been a member, and then I sort of became a coterie member um, with Neville Crow's group that was called um, the Captains Club then in two thousand and one, and. Nev, um, who's a great man and um, really re-engaged a hell of a lot of people at the club, uh, got me to uh, sit on the initial or the inaugural Tommy Hafey Club committee. Um, for those who know the Tommy Hafey Club, which is like a fundraiser for past players and for the club. And, uh, and that was in 2002. And, uh, and then I went from there onto the audit. I was an invited member of the Audit and Risk Committee of the club, so a board subcommittee, uh, which I did from 2006 to 2010. And I suppose in that whole era of Tommy Hafey Club, and, and I'm still a, a coterie member. I'm a, a Richmond executive coterie member. So, um, yeah, I suppose through all of that I've got to know a few people um, that I like to call the Richmond family, and it is like a family, which um, does sort of impact my posting to a degree. Um, you know, you get to know people that work at the club and, and people um, around the club. So, yeah, um, oh, it's good. just my small potted history, but it's no different to many others. And, um, yeah, it's all part of the Richmond family. That's the way I always look at it. It's part of the family, and um, that's why I travel the way I do as well because um, no offence to New Zealand and having a weekend in Auckland or anywhere else, but uh, it is quite good to uh, reconnect with the family on a regular basis, so that's why I often travel the way I do. Fair enough. And you must have some good stories from your travels and and um, you know interactions yeah. with, the, with the club. Um, yeah, I... I I went to um, I went to Arizona in 2011, uh, and that was just a, an amazing experience. Just to see, you know, how they train, how they travel, how they um, how the playing group, um, how disciplined they are. Uh, it was amazing because we went to all the meetings, and uh, if you got to a meeting room at one minute to 
the meeting time. Uh, you were late. It was just everyone was just so disciplined and focused, and they still are now when you go to Punt Road and you walk through the training area and you see all the clocks on the walls and there's actually like LED screens of what the routine is for a day and it's it's time down to the minute and uh, all the players are just so disciplined yet incredibly welcoming. And um, I always remember we were getting a flight uh, I met the the playing group in Los Angeles because so I flew from Auckland and uh, they flew from Melbourne and we then flew on to Tucson when the camp started and uh, and we were boarding the Southwest Airlines flight. I think, I think it was Southwest Airlines in Los Angeles and uh, the hostess came on board with a heavy American accent and uh, she said, uh, if Mr. Daniel Connors is on the plane, can you please press your call button, Mr. Daniel Connors? And uh, Daniel had been suspended for drinking off-season and wasn't on the trip, so everyone sort of laughed when he was paid. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was one thing I, I always remember. The other thing was uh, I think that was a year that um, Brandon was drafted and I think Todd Elton and, uh, and those guys were they were drafted, I think, on a, on a Friday night and they were on a plane to... US, I think even Dean McDonald might have been on that trip, and I don't think he even had a passport. And yeah, um, yep. And and you know, it was incredible just to see the the look in in the eyes of Brandon and Todd that you know they'd just been drafted, and there they were at the University of Arizona, at, um, you know, in a, in a in a foreign country, getting to know their um, playing group. Um, you know, that was interesting to watch. I mean, in a, in a good way. I mean, it was quite a challenge for them. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting just to observe all that. Oh, very good. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. That's no, all right. Sorry, I waffled on there. But... No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll move on to the Autopsy Play of the Year Vote Award. So this is as of after the Geelong game. So the five votes went to Prestia. Vlosten got four votes. Lambert with three. Grimes with two. And Dusty with one. So the updated leaderboard now looks like in fifth place, Dion Prestia on 18 votes. In fourth place, Kane Lambert on 20 votes. In third place, Alex Rance on 38 votes. Second place, Trent Cotchin on 40 votes. And in first place still, Dusty on 67 votes. The one player I want to pick out of here to talk about just quickly is Kane Lambert in fourth place on 20 votes. Now, if I'd have asked anyone on the board at the start of the year, would they have Kane Lambert in our top four autopsy thread votes? I'd be pretty confident in saying that I would have been told to go jump. Um, he's had an outstanding year. Yeah, he has. Um, I think uh, when you look at it, I think the biggest thing for Lambo is that he's worked on his um, sort of contested game as, and um, his tagging as well. He's added more strings to his bow and is contributing more than just getting the ball um, like he was um, last season. But I, I think he surprised Manny because Manny had him in the dud D-list you know, category um, as of last year. So I'm, I'm glad that he's turned it around because he's he's one of the most professional uh, players that I've certainly talked to um, with his uh, dedication and application to the training regime and everything. So um, he reminds me a bit of um, Jake King in that way. He's not the most talented bloke, but he more than makes up for it with his attitude and work ethic. Oh, I totally concur. And I, I just think, you know, a guy who was picked, I think he was in the 40s, I think, of the rookie draft. Um, yeah. 
you know, he's and that was what 2015. So he's um, he's come a long way. I know he's 25. He's probably reaching his um, sweet spot, but he's he's clean. His decision making and his hands were pretty clean. He did go missing a bit, I thought, in the third quarter there on um, or the last quarter on on Saturday. But yeah, look. Totally agree. I mean, who would have picked him um, being fourth on, on the list? And um, I think he's just been his decision-making, his use of the ball, uh, the fact that he does get it um, and, and what he's achieved um, from his pick, I think it's extraordinary. Yeah, to credit to how hard he's worked. So hopefully he keeps up that form and on the assumption we're going to play finals, it's going to be interesting to see how he sort of steps up under that, that next level of pressure. But I think he's really nailed down his role within the team. Um, so I expect him to, to keep carrying on as usual. And he's done it all yep. under 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 sufferance because he's lost his best mate. I'm glad that was brought yeah, up. Well, so glad. <laughs> um, but apparently he's got a new best mate at the club. Um, when Is I was he? at the yeah, when I was at the um, player sponsors dinner as a delegate of Bigfooty for the player sponsorship, um, Lambo and Shedder were inseparable. They were going to the toilet together. Like we were joking that we were joking that they were joined at the hip. They were like teenage girls, couldn't go anywhere without the other. Oh, God. I mean, if he's hanging around with Shedder, then the next thing, Buddy Lambo's going to be wearing a beanie on his head when it's 26 degrees, which Shedder <laughs> seems to do. So I look yeah. forward to that. Uh, just just with the player ratings, the one player that I'm actually surprised isn't top five based on his current season would be um, Dave Asprey. I reckon he's probably been looking at it. I reckon he's probably been better than what Alex Rance has over the course of the season in terms of uh, consistency. I mean, Rance has had better games um, than what Dave has, but Dave's been doing it consistently week in, week out, whereas Alex has sort of been up and down um, over the course of the last seven, eight weeks. So for him not to be in the top five of the, you know, board um, MVP, um, I'd actually hazard a guess and say he'd be top three in our best and fairest right now. So Yeah, I agree. Um, his omission in the, in the leaderboard is pretty surprising to me, actually. I think it, that that might come down to uh, posters not wanting to let go of their dud the list kind of theory on him from a couple of years ago. But yeah, yeah they send him to Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, for a second round <laughs> yeah. pick, which we were very close to doing. But I, I agree, he'll be in our top three or four quite easily in the best and fairest. He's been outstanding. Well, I I, I think you know there's there's two things that weigh in his saddlebag, and and yeah, the one you know the dud the list element is one and I think the other one is that he just simply stands next to um, an All-Australian a three times or what two or three times All-Australian full back so um, you know people probably weigh him down on the basis of, of you know he's standing next to Alex yeah but yeah definitely agree having a rippy uh, we'll, uh, we'll push on to the roast and toast this could be a slightly extended version because uh, there is a, definitely a few hot topics at hand so Grok you've got the roast this week or the first one anyway so what have you got for us 
Um, I've actually got two separate roasts. I was planning to only do one, but the events of the game on Saturday um, forced me to add in this uh, a second one. Um, uh, the first one that I, w- I was originally going to roast is to the AFL um, for allowing James Hurd to present the Norm Smith medal on grand final day. Um, I, I think that's sending a poor message to the football community. Um James Heard, for all that he's done at Essendon with the supplements uh, saga, he brought so much, you know, unwanted attention and, you know, uh, unwanted attention. And he he brought the game into disrepute um, and gained international notoriety for the AFL through, you know, what he actually did. So he, he's tainted the Brownlow medal um, indirectly with Joe because of, you know, the actions that he and some other rogue members of the Essendon Football Club did in 2012. And for him to present a, present the Norm Smith medal, I think he's sending the wrong message that if you do actually, you know, bring the game into disrepute, then it, the AFL are look, uh, keen to look over that if, if you were a champion player, which I think is totally wrong. Um, and the second one is the altercation um, with, the Richmond and Geelong uh, cheer squads um, at the game on Saturday where uh, long-time Tiger Tragic Trout Woodend um, was spat in the face uh, from a Geelong supporter. Um, Now, I actually uh, was meaning to go to this game but ended up having a migraine, Um, so I allowed my uh, Geelong supporting brother to tag along with my Geelong supporting uncle. And they they were sitting two bays um, over from where the incident occurred. And from what they were saying, the Cats fan actively seeked out uh, Trout and got into an argument with him and then deliberately spat in Trout's face, which actually started a phys- actual physical confrontation that required security to step in. Um you know, I, I just think some people take things way too way too personally, especially um, at the football. It, it's just a game, you know. It's there's nothing to really, you know, get upset about. You know, we we all take losses to heart, but uh, spitting in someone's face is is a completely disgusting act, and it has uh, potential, you know, serious health implications down the road through, you know, transmittable diseases. You don't know what the other person has. And I, I just think that was a disgraceful act. So my roast is to that Geelong supporter as well. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And like you said, footy is just a game at the end of the day and everyone should just go to the ground to support their own team. And that's it. There's no need to to be doing anything like that with opposition supporters. Yeah, well, every, there's um, every is always going to be a part of football. You know, it's always going to be, it's always going to be. We all like to get one up on the opposition. You know, cheer squads if we can, but you know, you, you can't take things to heart because if you do, you, you're never going to make it out alive. Yeah, fair enough. I um, I'll probably talk about this in my roast and toast, but yeah, I've got I'm a. I've got this theory that when you go to Subiaco and you go to Adelaide Oval and, and probably Skilled as well, where, where the vast majority of the crowd barracks for one side, it seems like the banter element just goes out the door. And uh, yeah, and you find, you know, we've had issues at Subiaco and um, 
and at Adelaide as well. And yeah, it's just like uh, people lose that. I think we're we're quite lucky that we play at the MCG, and it's more of a a, a democratic and, and balanced crowd. Whereas at some of these other venues where it's dominated by one side, it does lead to trouble. And um, yeah, I just almost think the like they almost like they feel they become invincible because just through sheer weight of numbers. Yeah, that's yeah, right. pack, they, yeah, they they succumb to the pack mentality of oh well, you know, you're in the minority here. We'll take advantage of this, and yeah. I, I just I just think you know you have a right to you know go to the football and showcase your emotions, but do it in a in a you know constructive way and don't, don't resort to violence. It's just not needed. No, yeah. definitely not. And uh, Kiwi, what have you got for your roast first up? Um. Well, it's funny. I, I'm sort of. Uh, I might continue on the Dan Connors theme just for a second. Nothing. No offence, Dan, but I might give him a little subtle roast for tweeting uh, during the week that just picking up on Crocs. Um, Norm Smith theme with James Hurd, who does remind me of the song by Carly Simon. You're so vain. Um, but um, Connors tweeted that. Um, that that James presenting the Norm Smith would be like him presenting the Jack Dyer medal. Um, But, Dan, I think you forgot that James actually won a Norm Smith medal and I don't think he came even close for a Jack Dyer medal. So I think that whole analogy is just totally wrong. Yeah. My other roast was actually going to be just a bit lateral. It's for the Western Australian Football Commission because um, a lot of people in the eastern states probably haven't picked up with the fact that this is... This is going to be our last game at Subiaco, and it's it's Frio's last game as well, which does worry me. Um, but uh, I believe that the Western Australian Football Commission are having a month of celebrations, uh, celebrating great events that have happened at uh, Subiaco over the past, and, and you can probably guess they all involve either West Coast um, or... Uh, Frio or the WA side winning State of Origin. Um, but they failed to neglect the fact that actually Fitzroy played their last game ever in the AFL at Subiaco. And uh, Norm Mugovan has asked me to actually give my roast uh, to them for forgetting that fact, that historic fact. And I'm actually going to turn around my toast. Um, sorry, uh, guys, to just jump to the toast straight away. No, but, that's right. um my toasts, I'm actually going to celebrate five great events, Richmond events that happened at Subiaco. I think that'll be my toast. And very quickly, uh, in order, um, I've been to Subiaco 10 times. And I've seen all of these bar one, but the first one was actually Jack Rewalt's coming of age. I think it was in a game in 2008 against West Coast where he kicked his first bag of five and we absolutely killed them by 70 points. Um, that was always a meritorious win that I remember. And a little kid, uh, as I left the ground talking about pack mentality, uh, told me that Richmond cheated, and I couldn't work out how that happened if we won by seven points. Um, the, the Frio game of 2015, when we just had an absolute ripping first quarter, Frio were undefeated. I think it was round 10. Um, yeah. And watching the replay afterwards, I think Basil Zempelis or his mate of mine likes to call him Basil Syphilis. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, Baz. Um, but I think Basil said that Frio was still coming when they were uh, 30 points down with about five minutes to play. So um, I don't know. I remember, was, yeah. I remember <laughs> I that what comment. Basil was thinking about that day, but it certainly wasn't Frio. Um, of course, the, the Cuz uh, returned to Subi game, I think it was 2009, uh, where Mitch Morton kicked around his body uh, to kick the winning goal. And I think Cuz 
flip the bird uh, at the camera in the change rooms, which would have been, uh, I think it was pre-game, and I remember flying home with the team and we got back to uh, Telemarine at four in the morning and uh, there was a whole lot of media at Telemarine at four in the morning and you knew something was happening. And, I, and the great Jude Donnelly, our media person then, she knew that there was something up, so uh, thanks, Cuz, for that. Um, the other one that I loved was... In the 1980s, when we had nothing to hold on to, um, State of Origin at, at Subiaco and Flea, Waitman, you know, Flea was just, at State of Origin level, was just phenomenal. And um, I think it was a game in 86 at, at Subiaco that was, um, Flea was best on ground. And I think it's often described as one of the best games of footy ever played. I think WA won by about three points, but Flea was just phenomenal that day. And the final one, of course, which you can probably all guess, um, and the wet, cold, freezing night um, when Ty clocked Dean Cox. Um, no, <laughs> you could see you, you could see just before they confessed that the Ty's eyes were rolling over like a poker machine. His head, and because um, he got a bit of niggle from Dean Cox, and um, yeah, I'm sure in terms of Ty's career at Tigerland, that's um, one thing we all remember. Yeah, well, that, I, I think my that toast. Was- I think that was the most impact Ty's ever had on the football field was to Dean Cox's face. But I'm, I'm just surprised. He actually, I'm actually surprised he managed to miss Dean Cox's nose. Like, yeah, he did. The fact, Good yeah, just, yeah. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. He's got a big proboscis, old uh, Dean. And, uh, <laughs> schnoz. And, um, yeah, Ty managed to miss it and, and flush the jaw. I could have done some roasts on some of the, the infamous um, – Moments of Subiaco, which I remember Luke Chicken Legs McGuan running into the open goal and missing. Um, yeah. And, and Jared Sylvester's uh, performance at fullback, I think, in 2009 when we lost by 130 points. But I, I won't yeah. move on. No, I'm sure there's uh, got a- plenty of poor ones to go around, no doubt. Yeah, then you've got the the controversial ones like uh, Matt White's um, snap from the boundary that ended up hitting the goal umpire. And Croc, who, who got in the way of that kick again? Uh, that was Tyrone Vickery. He ended up trying oh, to so. get a tried to get a boot to it to put it through and completely balls it up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's no surprise to anyone. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to quickly roast uh, the Richmond posters who are opting to blame the umpires on our loss against Geelong. Um, I have no issue in people arguing that the umpiring was bad or picking out decisions that weren't right and all that kind of stuff, but the fact still remains that we did a lot more things in that game that cost us the game than what the umpires did. They're only a very, very small part of it. Um, so I, I just think that you know, you just got to give credit to Geelong for stepping up and playing the better overall game, and we had our chances and failed to put them away. But yeah, yes, the umpiring was poor, but it, it, we can't put that down to the reason as we lost the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the umpires—they um, were the most influential in the second quarter, and we were down by six points at three-quarter time. From that point on, the umpires had nothing to do with it. It was. You know, the Cats pressure their zone and our inability to hit a target coming out of the back line. So, you know, it was it was it wasn't the umpires that lost it, it was the fact that, you know, Geelong's pressure game and our, you know, lack of composure that did us in. Yeah, 
Exactly right. And speaking of the Geelong game, we'll get straight into the review of that. So Geelong 11-14-80 defeated Richmond 9-12-66. So they got up by 14 points, and that's now dropped us back down to fourth position on the ladder. Uh, Kiwi, what did you make of the game? Uh, Yeah, look, I I thought we got off to a good start. Um, I think Prestia was involved early in a number of touches, which, um, yeah, looked really good. Good start, but then I think the caddy... um, Injury was a a significant loss. I think it was a loss from a, a significant loss from a structure viewpoint. Um, Caddy plays a role that that people call the trump role. Um, it's like a, a a smash and crash taller forward, but he can also play a bit of midfield when required. But he, he just provides a bit of crash and bash forward. He provides pressure. Um, and when we lost him, um, I think it was Ivy Soldo went back and Ivy um, just failed to um, impact a contest. He really lacked that crash and bash. And, and then guys like Henderson and, and uh, just took over and zoned off and repelled. And, and I think structurally, Caddy was a big loss. Yeah, it definitely was. And even just being that rotation down hurt, but yeah, you're spot on structurally. Oh, that's it, right. it hurt yeah, us yeah. big time. So, And Grok, what about yourself? What did you make of the game? Um, I, I actually had a feeling on the Friday night that this was going to be a danger game, um, even with Geelong's outs. Um, you have a look at the players that they brought in, you know, Reese Stanley, um, Daniel Menzel, Stephen Motlop. All of these guys have had ripping games against uh, Richmond more often than they haven't, and that all, all of them were handy footballers. So uh, I, I don't think that Geelong were as undermanned as what, the media and their fans will have us believe because that would still be at about 90%. Um, you know, obviously they were missing a couple of others like Cockatoo and that, but um, I, I just think that that first 15 minutes of the first quarter um, really hurt us. Uh, we got we got off to a fantastic start and had all the play, but we just couldn't uh, put it on the scoreboard. I think we, I think in the first fifteen minutes we had, um, I think it was eighty six percent of time in forward half, and we only kicked two goals to that point. So you know we we controlled the play and um, we we just couldn't convert, which has been a major issue for us this season. Um, which is why I believe we actually play a you know high pressure high pressure forward line tactic because we don't get the easy goals that most other teams do. We actually struggle um, to score. We have to work so much harder. Um, So if we lock the ball in, we get more chances to get the goal. Um, But I I agree with I agree with Kiwi when he said um, Caddy going down hurt us. Um, that that was noticeable as soon as he went off. Our forward structure um, just turned to complete crap. Um, we st- we used we were going um, while he was on. We were going you know quick and you know moving the ball with real confidence. And then when he went off, we started you know overhand bowling to try and get it into the forward line and it, it just didn't work from that point on. So I think uh, the caddy injury and our inability to capitalise when we had the momentum in the the first and third quarters, uh, I think really uh, let us down. And then, of course, the Cats uh, rolled over the top of us in the last quarter. Yeah. 
the uh, we did start to. Sorry, Croc. I was going to say that you're spot on. We we started to overuse the ball a bit, didn't we? Um, and I'm not sure whether that's because the structure of our forward line was out, but when we were sort of transitioning out of the defensive half, we just started to overuse the handball and just one too many again. And we were trying to run it in, but yeah, it was just one too many handballs. Right? It was. Yeah, you, you could. You could see um, when they were transitioning from half back, they'd they'd look downfield and try for the uh, look to go for the kick, and then all of a sudden realise that you know, okay, there's no caddy's not there, Jack's being triple teamed, we're going to have to get yeah. this forward. So they go for the hand pass, and yeah. by the time they've gone from deciding to you know, or oh, I'm going to kick this to hand pass, they're, they're either getting tackled or the handball's getting smothered. That was just you know that doubt in their minds of okay, well what are we going to do here? We can't play how we want to play. I think that was a real, you know, psychological disadvantage having Caddy go down. Yeah, because the one thing we stopped doing is we, we didn't keep on doing those little 45-degree kicks through the middle of the ground. That's been kind of what's helped us really open teams up on transition. And like you both said, we decided to get handball happy uh, just in hope that we'd break through. And the amount of times we handballed to someone in a far worse position, they got crunched. Um, and, of course, a turnover occurred and, and Geelong would score from it. We were just gifting him goals and the other one that probably hurt us I think a lot was Basher missing those two easy set shots after getting the 50 metre penalties uh, when you get him, yeah. when you get the cats on the ropes like that especially down there you, you have to convert those easy shots on goal because that, that's a big momentum shift yeah I agree Yep, scoreboard hurt. It did. And obviously, the, the matchup of Harry Taylor, he well and truly beat Rance. There's no other way to put it. But I would have liked to have seen Asprey shifted back onto him almost after quarter time and let Rance go back up the field and play his natural game. Um, he, Yeah, he was not out of his depth down there, one-on-one on one isolated, but the Geelong coaching staff just absolutely nailed that matchup and we didn't really do anything about it to try and fix it. Yeah, that, that actually surprised me um, starting Rance on Harry Taylor because um, Blake Carousella actually did an interview for um, the rich, the actual Richmond website um, with their opposition analysis saying that the key matchup that they were focusing on was David Asprey on Harry Taylor. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, okay, they've, they've spent the week, you know, planning to play Asprey on, you know, Harry Taylor. They've planned for it. And then they they only made they only made the move you know three and a half quarters in when Harry Taylor absolutely given Rance a bath. Why why would they plan for one thing and then completely go against it? It it, it just boggles me why that change wasn't made earlier or why Asprey didn't actually start on on Harry Taylor like they originally planned to. Yeah, I think it could have been a totally different outcome if we had have made that switch a bit earlier. Mm. Yeah. Yep, fair question. I, I think that's like the... To... Sorry. Sorry, Kiwi, you go. No, no, I was just uh, thinking. I noticed Alex appeared in the forward line late in the last quarter. Yeah, but, um... with a minute and a half to yeah, go, he popped that. up down forward. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too little, too late. I think one of the biggest knocks on Rance is um, when he gets into a wrestle, he generally does tend to be um, out strength. It's happened uh, several times um, over the past few years, you know, particularly against Tom Hawkins. Uh, Harry, Ta- uh, Harry Taylor got a hold of him on the weekend. Um, 
Tom Lynch got a hold of him last year. Jesse Hogan got a hold of him last year. Travis Cloak's gotten a hold of him. Drew Petrie's got a hold, gotten a hold of him. And the one thing that they all have in common is they're all really strong and like to wrestle. Um, Rance's game is that he's mobile and can come over the top. As soon as he got into a wrestle with Harry Taylor, it was never going to end well for Rance. As good as he is... Um, Wrestling isn't his his go to. It just completely negates any of his you know defensive capabilities. Absolutely. Well, um, we'll push on to the or the main main topic to discuss. We've also got quite a few players coming back from injury in the lead up to a potential final series. Um, I'll just go through some of the names and just give us your thoughts on should we look at trying to get them back into the team, um, and if so, who would come out for them? So, Kiwi, I'll start with you. So, Sean Hampson coming back from a back injury. He's in competition with Soldo. Who who offers more, and what what do you think we should be going with? Uh, is there a third option? Um, <laughs> I look. I suppose everyone's probably thinking um, caddy out. Who comes in? Um, and also, look, Ivy Soldo just didn't get to a contest um, on the weekend. I thought when he went forward, um, I think Nank needs a. He does need a chop out. He's starting to tire. He was um, lumbering a bit. Um, but Sean coming in, yeah, I'm just not sure whether um, – I think he's probably a better um, choice than Ibi Soldo, uh, but it depends on the structure of the side and how we want to play that. Uh, I think Nank does need a red or does need a chop out, um, so we do need to play another tall. I'm just uh, – if I had to choose between Sean and Ibi Soldo, I'd probably – Take a risk, not knowing about fitness or what have you, but um, possibly with Sean, uh, if I had to. All right. And Grok, Reese Conker, so he's returning from a foot injury shortly. Um, I've sort of got him pegged down as maybe in competition with Corey Ellis. Do, do we try and find a spot for Reese back in the team? Um, I, I think that's a tough one. Um, Reese was in ripping form early this year before he before he injured himself. Um, you know, he's really he really found a niche on the halfback flank um, as it um, accentuated his nat- natural football talents. You know, his athleticism, his pace, his you know composure with the ball. Um, I think Corey Ellis right now is more suited to a half forward role. Um, I just think uh, he's not accountable enough to play as a halfback flanker and do- doesn't really get involved enough while he's down there. Um, halfback flanker's role is to you know provide a target and be the distributing link between the back line and the midfield. And for someone playing that role, he didn't he doesn't get enough of the football. Um, so based on that, I would. Um, I would bring Conker in for Corey Ellis. Um, but just on the um, Hampson one, I, w- I would bring in Hampson over Soldo. Um, what actually surprised me about the game on the weekend was they played Nank more in the ruck than they did Soldo, which given the previous two weeks against uh, Gold Coast and Hawthorne where they played uh, Soldo, more ruck and rested Nank out of the goal square. I'm surprised we didn't go down that way again, especially once um, Caddy had gone down uh, because Nank's a decent contested mark and actually provides a target. So I think um, 
as Kiwi said, uh, Nank needs a chop out. So I would um, play Nank out of the goal square for the next game, uh, next couple of games and bring Hampson in to be the number one ruckman because his his tap work's fantastic and he, he gets around the ground and his, his marking's improved um, since he's gotten to the club. So I think um, Hampson is still best 22 at this stage, at least in my opinion. And the last one for you, Kiwi, is big Benny Griffiths coming back from a shoulder injury. Uh, we all dearly want him to make it because we do all think he can make a difference to us structurally. How do you see his return is going to pan out? Do, do we try and put him back into the seniors at some stage before finals, or what do you think we do there? I'd, I'd, I'd put him away. I'd, um, I'd say take a few months off, get yourself, get yourself right, get you. I know he's, you know, concussion issues. He's, he went away for a few weeks up north and thought about it. Um, but, yeah, just take time and um, I'm willing to give him time. I'd give him time too uh, and I wouldn't rush him back. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I'd, I'd put him on ice and just say that's, you know, that's enough this season. Just, you know, get get yourself right, um, you know, get some confidence back in, you know, flying for those marks and putting your body over the, on the line. Mm. Um, just just get those things right and then um, reboot for 2018 because right now he's probably the most important player on our list from a structure standpoint. Um, and if he's, if he's not in the right mindset, um, you know, uh, with his confidence or if he's not physically ready for it then we're going to struggle um, next year again we're going to have the same issues that we had this year yeah he's definitely important to us so it'll be interesting to see what kind of approach the club takes with it because we just don't want to have a repeat of that final against the kangaroos where he comes in raw and had little to no impact so well uh, i'll whip through the vfl update just quickly so Geelong 12-12-84 defeated Richmond 11-11-77 by seven points, which has now put us down to sixth on the VFL ladder. The Richmond-listed goal kickers were Lennon with three, Bolton with two, Lloyd with two, Moore and Stengel with one each. And the Richmond-listed best players were Townsend, Graham, Short, Hunt, Lennon and Biggie Vaughan. Um, so good to see a, a pretty strong list there of, of the best-listed players. There's still been, uh, you know, the same same few guys that are still putting their hands up to come in, and I will probably touch on that when we go through the preview. Um, but the one I'm kind of looking at potentially coming in for Caddy to be that second forward is Ben Lennon. Another three goals. He's now kicked 11 goals in his, pla- in his past four games. Is he close, Kiwi? <laughs> um, look, I knowing what I do about the, the Trump role, as they call it, um, I think he he can contest. I'm not sure if he's crash and bash, and I'm not sure if he's defensive. I'm not sure if there 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 is a straight swap for Caddy in Lennon. Yeah, um, that's but, my greatest concern. Yeah, uh, just on on that, I think if we're going to go like for like, Townsend's probably the best option to replace Caddy. You know, he's he's decent up forward. He he's, he contests well. He's got the defensive aspects down, and he can go through the middle. Whereas Lennon Lennon can't go through the middle. He he doesn't have the endurance or the speed to be a to be a midfielder. Whereas you know, um, Townsend actually has 
is a dual type. He can play as a flanker, can play as the as a medium marking forward, and he can play as an inside or an outside distributing midfielder. So if we're going to go like for like for Caddy, it's uh, Townsend for me is the one, not not Lennon. Yeah, I think Lennon. I think Lennon's got a couple of X's um, in terms of that like for like. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And we'll, uh, we'll push on to the preview for this week's game against Fremantle. I know we say it each week, but it's a massive game for our season. We've all but locked in a finals appearance. We, we can still mathematically drop out, but when you look at the draw uh, of the teams below us playing, who they're playing, it seems more likely than not that we'll make it. And it kind of just feels like now it's a matter of where we're going to finish. And this week's a massive chance to potentially secure a top four spot if we win. And... The teams that we need to lose have both got tough games. So Sydney have got Adelaide in Adelaide and Port Adelaide have got the Bulldogs in Ballarat. So the stage is kind of set for us to potentially secure a spot in the top four um, and not give us a free hit in round 23, but we don't have that added pressure of missing out on a double chance. The interesting point, though, is Fremantle obviously got smashed by Sydney last week by 104 points, so they're going to want to put in a better performance, especially being the last game at Subiaco, like you mentioned at the start, Kiwi. Um, so we can't mm-hmm. estimate how hard free are going to come out at us. So, Kiwi, what are your thoughts on the game coming up? A um, couple of things. Um, firstly, I'd like to... Well, Dylan Grimes is playing his 100th, so... Uh, well done to Optimus, and I spoke to his player sponsor today. I know um, a big group, family group, are going over to watch him play, including his partner Alicia. So uh, go Dylan. Uh, just opened a winery at Mount Macedon, so I recommend it for everyone. Um, I'm worried about this. It is the last game for Frio at Subiaco, and knowing where the new Perth Stadium is, it's miles away from Fremantle, so some of their supporters might get lost on the way to the new one. <laughs> so they, they might go um, on Sunday to uh, cheer them on, and uh, so there might be a, a, a sentimental factor that might spur them on. But, um, uh, yeah, look, their form, I, I thought I'd watch the Sydney game to uh, do some prep for this one, but at the end of the day it was only Frio and they lost by 104 points, so uh, their form coming in is not great. Uh, just also as an aside, I can't believe the Swans had their highest home crowd uh, this year, V Frio, on a Saturday afternoon of 39,000 at the SCG. I don't know what was going on there. Whoever That's actually strange, yeah. That is just bizarre, but anyway... Um, Maybe there was some marketing thing in Sydney I wasn't aware of. But, yeah, look, Frio, the only thing going for them this week is the uh, the Subi last hurrah factor. Um, but they're low on confidence. They're, they're, um, Ross is deciding what his future might look like. Um, but you never know with him. He might They just might come out and have a blinder because um, they've had the wood against us over the last few odd years, bar that basil syphilis game. So... Um, yeah, look, hard to say. Hard to say. There might, there will be a sentimental factor being their last game at Subiaco, and Subiaco is close to Fremantle, so um, that's the only positive I could see for them. At the end of the day, we should win this and win it well. And Grok, what about yourself, mate? Um, yeah, this is a game that I'm I'm a little bit uh, worried about, as uh, Kiwi mentioned. Um, it, it's one of those games where. The only th- uh, Freo are going to be playing for pride, you know. They want to, they want to see out, um, you know, uh, they want to see off um, Domain Stadium, um, you know, with a win. They, 
Yeah, they 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 want to see it off with a win. They um, especially coming off a, a thrashing from Sydney last week. They don't want to they don't want to get belted uh, one week and then lose their last game at their you know spiritual home the next week um, in their final game. So I, I think they're going to come out absolutely uh, breathing fire. Um, that being said, they do have some injuries um, that w- should help us given their game plan. I mean, Michael Walters is a huge out for them, um, especially with the way he played uh, against us earlier in the season. Um, but I'm, it's one of those games where I'm worried about it, but I'm also confident in a way. We play uh, Subiaco really well for, for some reason. I'd probably say that it's the ground that we play the best out of any ground in Australia, including the MCG, um, for some reason. And uh, I, I just think it's going to suit our game plan um, a lot better than what Simmons did. You know, it's a lot it's a lot wider and it's a lot longer than what um, Simmons is as well. So if we, if we can, you know, get some decent um, chances to lock the ball in our forward line, um, Frio's defense has shown it's pretty shaky um, under pressure this season. So if we can bring the pressure game that we brought to the Hawthorne game and the first sort of 15 minutes in the third quarter of the Geelong game, then I, I reckon we'll probably, uh, We'll get up and consolidate a top four. Uh, consolidate a top four spot. The thing with Frio is, despite them being fairly badly out of form, they've still got some pretty good midfielders like Nat Fife, Lockie Neal, Brad Hill, David Mundy. They're pretty handy players, so I know they're yeah, a bit low on confidence. But if they get up and about, um, yeah, with it being the last game at Subi, they can still cause some serious damage. So the pace kind of concerns me a little bit. Um, but, and just more the fact that we tend to sometimes stuff up the, the big stage games for ourselves. Uh, when we have a chance to do something really good for the club, we tend to always find a way to, to drop it. But like you said, though, Grok, we do travel quite well. So hopefully we come home with the win. We'll, um, we'll have a look at a few of the matchups quickly. So Nat Five versus Trent Cochin. I know they probably won't play on each other directly, but um, how do you see that one playing out, Grok? Um, I, I see that playing out um, more where, more that it'll be Fife being in and under, whereas Koch will stay on the outside and let Prestia, you know, get inside and, and be the extractor. So I think it, it's just going to come down to the ruck battle as to who wins that one. Um, obviously, Fife has got more strings to his bow than what Koch has. Um, but I, I think in terms of being effective um, with their disposals that they actually get. Koch edges Fife. Um, The biggest knock on Fife is he's not overly damaging um, with his possessions. And it's it's the same knock on... um, Lockie Neal as well. They they rack numbers up, but often it's to the detriment of um, uh, the detriment of the Dockers. So um, I, I think if Koch can get on the outside and make Fife accountable, I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Koch take the chocolates in that one. And Kiwi, we've got Brad Hill. I think McIntosh might go to him just purely from a, a speed perspective, and Camden can obviously beat him in the air as well. But I think Brad Hill holds the keys for Fremantle because he likes to break the lines. He's got explosive speed, and he does have those good skills, um, especially going inside 50. How do you think that one's going to pan out? Yeah, well, I think you, you 
you hit the nail there. I mean, Hill's about speed, and, and we need someone who's got speed who can go with him. Um, I don't know, Ellis, uh, like as in Corey, um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't think he'd be the man. Uh, Camden, boy from Pinjarra, always plays well at Subiaco. It's his home base. Um, and, look, I'd, I'd certainly back him to do a role on Hill. Um but, yeah, I, I just worry about Hill is explosive. Who could we have to go with him? Um, can Camden go with him? But he can also hurt him um, as a tall as well to uh, rebound Mark in D50 on Hill. So, yeah, look, uh, it's a 50-50, that one. But I think it would be a, a good match-up to watch and worth running with. Yeah. Um, when you have a look at it, Hill was best on ground against us earlier this season. He was just everywhere. I think he had mm. 39, 39 yeah. possessions. He, he was just, you know, it, every um, attacking drive that Freo had in that game was started at started from Brad Hill on the halfback flank, either running or or, or kicking the ball. Um, on McIntosh, I think he's probably the best uh, option in the side right now. Um, but I'd, I'd maybe look at going a little um, left of centre and maybe bringing Connor Manager in to, to go with him because he, he's done a he's done some run with roles um, at VFL level and and done the well and he's he's got the speed and he's got the endurance to go with um, with uh, Brad Hill and he, he's damaging with the ball in hand as well so I think he's, he may be another one we might look at to to run with Brad Hill. Yeah, but so would you look at would you look at possibly a Corey Ellis out? Manage you in? Uh, yeah, I, that would be something that I would look at. Um, I'd probably play um, Manager on the halfback flank. Um, I, I'd I, uh, that would be one, and I'd also look at probably bringing in uh, Shea Bolton as well uh, for one of um, Castagna or Butler as well. Yeah. And the last yeah. matchup is uh, David Mundy just versus anyone who can stop him marking the ball with 10 seconds to go. So I don't really care who it is, but all I want to say is if the game's close with a minute to go, all I ask is someone stands next to him and make sure they don't let him out of his sight. Oh, look, I, I think um, I think there's someone in the crowd, probably Tugger, I'd put even money on to jump the fence and just take him out. <laughs> yeah, we can do like a GoFundMe to pay for his fine. That's okay. Yeah, that's right. We could we could do a Helen D'Amico and uh, just pay Tugger to just jump the fence and take him out because I think Mundy's from Shepparton, so is Tugger, so I'd give him the role. Speaking of Tugger, the, the biggest question I had written down for this game is will Kiwi, Tiger and Tugger have another big night out like they did in Adelaide? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few big nights out with Tugger. Um, yeah, look, we're, we're currently uh, firming up our itineraries and um, I dare say there, there's a rather um, aptly named pub, or not aptly, um, confusingly named pub in Perth called the Lucky Shag, which is down by the Barrack Street Pier. Apparently it's named after a bird that sits on a pier. That's got nothing to do with anything else, but... Um, Tugger and I have been known to plonk ourselves in the lucky shag, and um, that could be happening again. Oh, watch out, Perth. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm t- you, you packing mean, the Panadol. You mentioned earlier um, that Dockers, Dockers fans um, would get lost on the way to the new Perth Stadium. I don't reckon they would. 90% of Dockers fans know where the casino is. <laughs> they just have to go to the casino and they'll, they'll, they'll find the stadium. That's a very good call. 
All right, just to wrap up, we'll get a, a prediction from each of you. So, Kiwi, I'll start with you first. What's your prediction and margin for the game? Uh, I predict that I'll have a headache at about um, night, and uh, I think we should win by about 40. Uh, as Dimmer says, we don't blow sides away, but we've got to win this one comfortably. Fair enough. And what about yourself, Grok? Yeah, I, I, I don't think the margin will be as as big as that. I'd probably say it's going to be in the in the region of 17, 18 points. I just think it's going to be another win where we just grind it out, um, you know, to the end. It'll be comfortable the whole way through, but it's, it won't be a massive margin either way. And that, uh, a win this, this weekend um, will see us pretty much guarantee a top four spot anyway. So once we do that, the pressure will be off for next week's game, which is going to be a huge one as well, considering the Saints are all uh, but eliminated from finals and it'll be Nick Revolt's last game. So that's going to – I'm wondering how much the the club will be looking forward to that at the moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I reckon we might get up by somewhere between 25 to 30 points. So hopefully we can just obtain control of the game early and just keep them at arm's length uh, right until the end and and get through unscathed really is the the main goal for the game. Would you bring in Jack Graham this week? I'm very close. I'm very close. Um, You know, I I do find it hard to follow... uh, VFL, VFL. Uh, yeah. Uh, from here, but um, I did see him play at Pump Road um, a few weeks ago, I think it was, and um, I think um, he's worth a try. I think he's very much worth a try. Maybe even, if not this week, maybe next week. I, I think yeah, it's see, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against maybe putting Sean Grigg on the shelf for a week or two, just give him a bit of a spell because he, he has been running a fair bit and looks a little tired. And I'd, I'd probably play um, Graham and Prestia as our inside mids and have Cochin replace uh, Grigg as our outside distributor. I reckon that might be an option we look at this week as well, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the thing that impresses yeah. me with Graham's numbers is his tackle count's always high. So not only is he finding the ball, yeah. but he's obviously doing the hard stuff defensively too so yeah I wouldn't be against seeing him come in either um, yeah the, one, of, one of the biggest knocks on him in the draft um, in the draft in the lead up to the draft was um, his ability to cover the ground and his his, his speed yeah and mm. um, look, looking at it um, at watching him at VFL level I, I think his, his pace is is a lot better than many people give him credit for. He, he's he's a smooth mover. It reminds me of um, Mark Coughlin in a way. You know, he's not super quick, but um, he just makes it look effortless when he runs. He's a very powerful, you know, player. Just you can just tell by the way he runs that he's going to be a very big, strong midfielder. That's a that's a really good combination because um, often the big powerful guys are, are a bit sort of stocky and not overly fluid with their running, and um, it sounds like Rock that you know good observations that he is and he covers the ground and and that's a good sign and gets the footy. 
Yeah, he does. And he, he uses it well too, which was another um, knock on him was his uh, disposal efficiency. But he's one of these players who generally makes the right, right decisions the first time. He doesn't, hesit- he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't falter. He just, you know, he goes back, backs himself in and, and makes the right call probably 90% of the time. Yeah, interesting selection ahead of us. But I think, yeah, it would be good to get a game into him before the season's end just to see what he's got at the top level. And um, a reminder to listeners for the game information. So the game's on Sunday, 20th of August at 2.40pm Perth time, and which is 4.40pm Melbourne time. And we're live on Foxtel from 4.30. And the VFL boys are actually playing on Sunday as well at 12 o'clock at Punt Road against Sandringham. So if you've got nothing on before the game, uh, make sure you get down to Punt Road and have a look at the VFL guys and cheer them on as well. Uh, so Grokadot... Just three. Oh, you gone. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say very quickly for any WA listeners, there will be open training at Subi at 4 p.m. Uh, sorry to preempt the club, but it will be on at 4 p.m. Um, over at Subi Echo on Saturday afternoon. Perfect. There you go. So if you're flying across, make sure you get down there and see the boys up close. And they usually are pretty accommodating and come around and sign some autographs after as well, typically. So it's usually a, a good intimate session virtually. So Grokodok and Kiwi Tiger, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure chatting to you both. And until next time, go Tigers. Go Tigers.